Genentech is getting to the root of healthcare's toughest issues by asking the big questions. What if access and outcomes were not determined by skin color, sexuality, gender, or zip code? How do we move beyond buzzwords to actually make health equity a reality? At Genentech, asking bigger questions and finding the answers leads to action. They're partnering across the medical community to make clinical research as diverse as the world they serve. They're uplifting the voices and expertise of those who are often ignored and most harmed by inequities in healthcare. Learn more about how biotech industry pioneer Genentech is disrupting the status quo to advance health equity at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. As a black boy growing up on Long Island, New York, things here always felt a bit divided. My parents, wanting me to get a religious education, had sent me to Catholic school throughout my life. But one of the things about going to a private school with kids from across the island is that I was often the only black kid amongst a sea of white faces, or at least one of the only. I think back to this specific memory of when I was in eighth grade. This girl, you know, a friend of mine, she had invited me over to her pool party. But while we were splashing around in the water, for some reason, she just felt compelled to share a conversation that she had with her dad. Her dad, he was worried that she was inviting a black boy over to her house. My ears, they, they, they felt hot. There was a sensation crawling up my spine and, and all of my goosebumps rose to attention. And then this girl, I don't know, maybe in, in an attempt to, I don't know, make me feel better or something, she said that she told her dad, oh, don't worry, he's not like those black people. Like, what? What the heck is that supposed to mean? I just remember slowly sinking into the water and just hoping that my embarrassment would disappear, sort of like the bubbles that I was blowing out from my mouth. Honestly, it's hard to express just how those experiences mess with your head, especially when you're a kid and you're just trying to figure out who you are and how you fit in with where you live. When you're always being reminded that your skin color is different, I mean, it can really wear down on you. It's something that quite often continues for the rest of your life. That kind of withering or that wearing down from this casual racism. Now, Long Island has always had a bad rap for racism. And you know, many will say it's pretty well-deserved. Discrimination is baked into this place's history. Today, Long Island is one of the most racially segregated suburbs in America. Its legacy of segregation has had long-lasting impacts on the health of the people here, especially the health of black and brown communities. My name is Nicholas St. Fleur. I'm a science reporter at STAT, where I focus on the intersection of race and medicine. This is Color Code. 
a podcast where we delve into the history and current reality of racism in healthcare. In season one, we covered a range of topics like maternal mortality, quote unquote excited delirium, and medical mistrust. This season, we're taking things local to my hometown of Long Island. Press three for Massapequa. You have selected one way from Ronkonkoma to Penn Station. We decided to focus on Long Island because it's where I live and where I grew up. It's also a microcosm of health inequities that we see across this country, particularly in suburbs. Through these episodes, we'll hear from researchers, patients, clinicians, and environmental advocates on Long Island who are raising the alarm on racism in our healthcare system. This podcast is for anyone interested in helping close racial health gaps in medicine. So if you're from Long Island, or you just want to learn more about how where you live impacts your health, this season is for you. So some background before we start. Long Island is a suburb of New York City. There's about 3 million people living here. And as most locals will tell you, it's on Long Island, not in Long Island. Long Island, the suburb, is divided into two counties. There's Nassau County, which is closer to the city, and Suffolk, which is out east and includes the Hamptons, which you've probably heard of. Now, as a disclaimer for those of you who don't really know Long Island, when we're talking about Long Island, we're not talking about Queens or Brooklyn. Yes, 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 I know on a map, Queens and Brooklyn are physically on Long Island, but trust me, they're not really on Long Island. Okay, like if you talk to someone from Queens or Brooklyn and you said they were from Long Island, they would be offended. (laughs) And honestly, they're both too cool for us. I mean, Long Island's cool in its own ways. We're known for our pizza, our bagels, Lindsay Lohan. And of course, Billy Joel. Long Island also birthed artists like Flava Flav and Public Enemy, who are from Roosevelt. Biz Markey went to my local high school. And then there's newbies to the rap scene, like Lil Tecca, who grew up in Cedarhurst. It's a pretty diverse spot, politically, culturally, racially. Long Island is the kind of place where driving on the highways, you can spot cars with Blue Lives Matter decals, driving next to cars with Black Lives Matter bumper stickers. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I'm by no means an expert on Long Island. I'm learning more and more about this place through doing research for this podcast. But it is where I've spent the majority of my life. So I probably know it better than any other place in America. Part of the reason why the Color Code team settled on Long Island for this season is because we were looking at places across the country that declared racism a public health emergency. We wanted to explore whether there was any bite behind the declarations or if they were just mere gestures. Following the events of 2020, when the COVID-19 pandemic put racial health inequities on full display and our nation was embroiled in a quote-unquote racial reckoning following the murder of George Floyd, there was this movement to finally acknowledge the impact that systemic racism 
plays in the healthcare system. More than 200 places in the U.S. had made their declarations. As protesters take to the streets here and around the country demanding racial justice. Today, I, I want to take this opportunity to talk about racism and equality. Racism is now officially a public health crisis in New York City. Yesterday, the city's... Board Though New York City had made a declaration, and Governor Kathy Hochul later made a declaration as well for the state, Long Island as a region was silent. A really interesting um, issue here in uh, Long Island is that if you told people, you know, we're going to declare, you know, racism a public health issue, people would be like, we don't need that here. We, we don't have a problem. That's Martine Hackett. She's an associate professor of public health at Hofstra University, which is in Hempstead here on Long Island. After we decided to focus this season of Color Code on Long Island, she was the first person we wanted to speak with. She's a sociologist, and she's working on a book about suburban public health, something that not many other scholars are focusing on. You know, naively, when I first, about 10 years ago, when I first started identifying these issues, I thought, surely it's because people just don't know. Mm -hmm. So this would be my job, right, to be able to let people know about this issue. And um, sadly, what I found out is um, people did know and had, all, had known for a really long time that these issues were real. Um, it was, however, a sort of willing um, disregard to be able to address those issues that I found um, was really um, disturbing. I mean, I have to tell you, like, I know I'm, I don't, I sound weird, but I mean, it's like, I really do feel that way sometimes. Mm -hmm. It really is like, um, I call it like an academic silence mm -hmm. around this issue. And I, I mean, I don't know. Dr. Hackett is particularly interested in how suburbs became suburbs and the intersection of place and health. The idea of racism as a public health um, uh, issue or a public health emergency um, is not something that you would ever see here on Long Island because um, people are invested in keeping things the way that they are. And I think that um, until people can even admit that, you will not see any kind of a change in that. And I think that you know what I have also seen is that people get extremely defensive. White people get very defensive in Long Island if you mention even anything like this. Like they, they will literally say, I'm offended and almost like leave the conversation because of how much they think that it is not applicable. That resonates a lot with my experience here on Long Island. My white friends growing up, they'd mostly avoid the subject. But all of my black friends and my family here they have stories upon stories to share of being discriminated against. So how did we get here? The roots of segregation on Long Island, they start with a place called Levittown in Nassau, about a 20-minute drive from where Dr. Hackett and I were talking. Long Island, New York, America's fastest-growing community. Levittown is what's known as the first post-World War II suburb. It's the first mass-developed suburb in the United States. And it was potato farms before it was um, thousands and thousands of homes. And the way that those homes were sold, they were sold um, at a very uh, reasonable and affordable price, especially if you were a veteran uh, who was returning from World War II. Um, and the agreement that you made to be able to buy that house um, was something called a restricted covenant. What that said that um, you could um, only sell your home to a person of the Caucasian race. And so this is something that um, segregated or separated people by race 
uh, in uh, a place like Levittown. And these racial covenants were something that were used in places beyond Levittown, um, across Long Island, um, but also across um, many different parts of the country as they started to suburbanize, uh, especially in the 1940s, 1950s, and 1960s. That was basically the start of modern racial segregation on Long Island. Today, you'll see that places like Levittown are still a majority white, while other zip codes like Hempstead are largely black and Latino. When we see those differences and the starkness of those differences, we recognize that these are not sort of choices that people were making in terms of where they wanted to live, but where they were allowed to live. We know that on Long Island, urban renewal was also known as Negro removal, right? Some people would call it, um, because places like Rockville Center, um, which in the 1950s had a significant African-American population, um, those homes were um, considered to be unsanitary for them to be able to live. And as part of urban renewal, you could basically kick people out and you know create new housing with the promise that they would be brought back once the new housing was developed, but they never were. They were basically segregated or separated. These efforts to separate people aren't relics of Long Island's past. Dr. Hackett says they've more or less taken on a new name. Zoning. Don't even get me started. Zoning, it has public health as its core reason and rationale, scientific rationale, in that if we can imagine that zoning is part of the key of um, racial residential segregation and separation, saying, for example, with zoning, um, this is where single family houses should be. You know, this is the lot size that we should have. You cannot have multifamily housing in this area. You cannot have these kinds of um, businesses or factories or whatever in this neighborhood, but you can have them here. What is happening in the Long Island is a um, sort of the leading edge of what we can sort of imagine happening when it comes to the suburbs and health. insofar that um, uh, we are the home of the nation's first post-World War II suburb. We are the um, leaders when it comes to being able to see what does the future of health look like in the suburbs. This is something that we live with today in terms of the consequences that that has uh, affecting everybody. And so goes Nassau County, goes the rest of the suburbs in the United States. The picture that Dr. Hackett was painting for me was starting to take shape. It's this idea of how where you live impacts your health. It's something that I've heard several of my sources who study health equity say. Your zip code is a better indicator of your health than your genetic code. Dr. Hackett brought up the example of two towns in Nassau, Roosevelt and Merrick, which sit next to each other near the South Shore of Long Island, less than 20 minutes from John F. Kennedy Airport. Well, when we look at a suburban zip code, it really does tell this story. So um, what we're looking at is um, a map that has two adjacent zip codes, Roosevelt, which is um, majority black and Hispanic, and Merrick, which is majority white. Dr. Hackett does a lot of research looking at infant mortality rates. She said that between 2012 and 2014, for every 1,000 births, there were about 11 infant deaths in Roosevelt. But in Merrick, the infant mortality rate was zero. 
So what I've printed out for you are some uh, headlines from uh, the local newspaper Newsday um, over the decades. Mm -hmm. What I wanted to look at was how has the issue of infant mortality been portrayed in local newspapers in Nassau County? And one of the things that I have identified were um, headlines uh, saying that the um, black infant mortality rate is um, extremely high in a place like Nassau County. So this says Long Island death rates are highest for black infants. This is from 1985. Each time you flip the page, you have little dates on the top and they're getting closer and closer to when, when I was born. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're and at see, 1989. I see the next page says 1990. Yeah. I'm and at so again, looking oh. at the urgent needs going unmet, um, here we see uh, from 1991, um, again, another increase in the um, uh, black infant mortality rate. Um, and uh, again, with a lack of interest in terms of what is being uh, addressed. So the, the year I was born, <laughs> that's the headline, black infants on Long Island at risk. Latest figures on death rates show big increase. Prenatal care cited has these kind of two graphs that's showing, wow. Uh, you know, Nassau and Suffolk and the difference between uh, black infant mortality and white infant mortality. And those numbers are stark. Wow. It's not that all the healthy people said, let's move to America, and all the unhealthy people said, let's move to Roosevelt. This is a clear indication of the influence that the environment has on your health outcomes when it comes specifically to the idea of infant mortality. Again, infants can't care for themselves. Infants are influenced by everything that surrounds them from their you know, mother's womb to the places where they're living. And so when we see a high infant mortality rate in one zip code and an unbelievably low infant mortality rate in another zip code that tells us that something is not happening in one place and is protecting people in another place. Um, and when we say places, we are talking about places that are just a few miles apart. And yet it's a world of difference uh, in terms of what happens. Dr. Hackett explained that if you can find a difference by race and ethnicity, You'll find a difference by zip code because of the correlation between where people live, race, and their health. When you look at that on a map, you will see that it is very clear that there's going to be one neighborhood that has a high premature death rate and another neighborhood zip code that will have a low premature death rate because of the racial segregation that pre-existed that or that is also connected to that. And so that's true for premature deaths. It's true for asthma hospitalizations. It's true for coronary heart disease. It's true for diabetes. We also saw it was true for COVID-19. No, definitely. I mean, I'm learning just so much from this conversation and I grew up here. <laughs> it's not an accident, you know? And again, it goes back to this piece, right? About um, how me telling people, you know, look at these differences, uh, and it's like, Slow your roll, Martine, because no one wants to have that be the thing that people know about it, right? Because that's going to, again, decrease the investment value. Mm -hmm. And the thing that makes the suburb a suburb is that it's not the city, right? And when you are mentioning things like this, you are bringing city problems into the suburbs. And that is something that ultimately is... You know, this is just this is my conclusion, right? That it really is um, to maintain that illusion of what the suburbs are is something that um, people for whom it benefits will go to great lengths to maintain.
after speaking with Martine Hackett about her work on Long Island, the health disparities here, and the cascading effects that segregation has had on people's health, it just got me thinking a lot about my own life and my own memories growing up here. I was reflecting on that day at that girl's pool party. I feel like it's kind of emblematic of the racism that we see here on Long Island. As Martine Hackett explained to us a bit, it's subtle. It's folks saying, oh, no, 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 we, we, we don't have a problem here. No, no, racism isn't a problem here. Yet other folks saying, oh, no, it's a huge problem here. That sort of divide. It makes me think that girl almost could have uninvited me to that party based off of what her dad was saying, being worried about having a black boy at his house. It kind of makes me think more and more about why Long Island is so divided. I think that conversation with Martine is something that will inform the rest of my reporting as I go on this journey, looking at health disparities here on Long Island. The more I'm listening, the more I'm realizing how little I really know about where I'm from. But I'm just so deeply interested and invested in learning. Join me on this journey as I explore how where you live impacts your health. We'll hear from researchers, patients, clinicians, and advocates on the health inequities Long Islanders face. And we'll learn how communities here are trying to close these gaps from the front lines of a battle over a landfill to the efforts activists are taking to address food insecurity and disparities in maternal mortality across the island. Thank you for listening and being a part of our Color Code community. Our team here at STAT is Alyssa Ambrose, Hyacinth Empanado, Teresa Gaffney, and me, Nick St. Fleur. Skylar Swenson is our editor, and Anil Oza is our intern. Our theme music is by Brian Joel. Thanks to the Commonwealth Fund for supporting this podcast. If you like the podcast, please leave a review and subscribe. And if you have any thoughts for us, you can reach us at colorcode at statnews.com. <laughs>